if I had a bad day on the ice or something like that, I'd come home and I'm like upset for a couple of days or something like that. If you have a bad race now, I don't have time to be upset. Like, mm-hmm. of course you take the time and you're upset and you're analyzing your race, but at the same time, I've got this little guy waiting on me and he needs all of my attention. It's not like he's going to be like, Oh, it's okay, mom, just take a second. And, uh, I'll just hang out here for a little bit. No, he, he wants all my attention and who could blame him, you know? Um, so I get to do that every single night and it, it gives me that perspective of, you know, sport is, is what I do. It's not who I am. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm delighted to sit down with Alana Myers-Taylor, a professional bobsledder with three Olympic medals and two world titles. My conversation with Alana could not have come at a more perfect time. For the first time in four years, I'm not pregnant and I'm not breastfeeding. And I finally feel ready to get back into shape. Plus, I'm working towards a big goal. I'm a bit scared to say it out loud to all of you because then it will be real. I'm going to run the Boston Marathon next year. But my abs are still split and I'm carrying an extra 20 pounds. So it feels like my body forgot that I'm the same person who's run Boston two times before. It actually feels like I've never run in my life. I know pregnancy changes our bodies, but everything just feels so different. Like I'm a complete stranger in my own body. Alana is an inspiration, an Olympic athlete and world champion who bounced back from a delivery that landed her son in the NICU to compete at the highest level less than a year later. While it may seem like a fairy tale now, it definitely didn't along the way, and she shares all of her doubts and how hard it is to juggle her training, her son, and everything in between. For professional athletes, there is never a good time to have a kid. Alana Myers-Taylor, an Olympic bobsledder, weighed the decision with her husband. The thought of taking significant time off from training and competition for pregnancy and postpartum recovery was daunting, even potentially career-ending. But Alana always wanted to be a mom. Though she struggled to get pregnant, Fertility treatment wasn't an option because hormones were illegal by drug testing regulations. After two years, Alana got pregnant. Alana's pregnancy was relatively uneventful by her standards anyway, as she juggled training and routine doctor's appointments. Alana was induced at 36 weeks and after eight days in the NICU, Nico was diagnosed with Down syndrome. Alana and her family didn't skip a beat. Less than 12 months later, Alana returned to the track and Nico was at the bottom waiting for her after her race. Well, welcome. I'm so delighted to have you joining me today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. (laughs) I recently read that you announced you would become an Olympian at the age of nine. 
And yes. um, so the, your dream was from a very early age. Can you share a little bit about your journey to become an Olympic athlete? Oh boy. Um, yeah. So at the age of nine, I think you don't really know what that means. Um, what it means to become an Olympian and what it will actually take. But I knew after seeing the 92 games and the 96 games are going to be in Atlanta where I'm from. Um, I knew it was something that I definitely wanted to do or try to accomplish. So I just thought it was the coolest event in the world. And I come from a military family. My dad was in the military. He went to the Naval Academy, my uncle, my aunt, my grandfather. So a lot of military history there. And I didn't think military service was for me, but I wanted to have another way to represent our country. So, Olympics seemed to be the perfect fit. Um, I just needed to find a sport that would allow that to happen. So I grew up playing softball, basketball, soccer, you name it. I played it um, all with the intention of making the Olympic team one day. But softball was my true love. Uh, so I played professionally. I played collegiately at the George Washington University and then actually had an Olympic tryout. And it was, when I say the worst tryout in the history of tryouts, I am not exaggerating. It was so bad. And I knew I wasn't going to make that team. For those of us who have and never will try out um, for an Olympic team, what made it such a, a hard tryout? Why do you say that? Well, I knew softball was getting taken out of the game. So it was going to be my last opportunity to try and make it or so mm -hmm. I thought. Um, so I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. But literally, when I say I was like throwing I'm a short, I was a shortstop or third baseman. Um, when I was say I was throwing balls over the backstop, like I was literally throwing balls over the backstop. I think I struck out almost every at bat. Like I had just put way too much pressure on myself to perform. And um, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. So um, the ch choice I had after that was whether or not I was going to continue sport or what I was going to do. And at that point, I was like, well, you know what? Let me just keep training. I still have this dream. I just got to find somewhere to channel it. And it was actually my mom who saw bobsled on TV and said, hey, well, why don't you give this a try? They look for strong, fast, powerful athletes. Um, I was like, sure, why not? And just Googled it, emailed the coach, and got invited to a tryout. Wow. <laughs> How much did you know about bobsledding then other than was it really just what you discovered on Google? Um, it was cool runnings, you know, that's, <laughs> I think that's how most of us know bobsled cool runnings is not like cool runnings at all. Um, and, and so after that, it was basically what I'd seen on TV. Like I had seen Vanetta flowers and Jill Bakken win the first gold medal for the U S and I thought that was really cool. And being from Atlanta, um, Vanetta flowers was African-American as well. And she was from Alabama. So seeing her do it, I was like, Oh, this is achievable for me being a girl from the black girl from the South. I was like, Oh, we can make this happen if she was able to do it. So um, there's a lot of power in seeing and, and believing it. Um, so seeing her having achieved it, I was like, okay, we could figure this out. And, you know, I just went to work trying to figure it out. And I imagine, although this could be a very um, ignorant question, that there aren't many places to train for bobsled in Georgia. So what, <laughs> what did that mean? Where did you go? What did your training and this next stage of your journey look like? So we have two tracks in the U.S., one in Park City, Utah, and one in Lake Placid, New York. And that's actually where you do your bobsledding. But those tracks are only open from October to, say, around March or April. Um, so those are the, that's your on-ice season. 
during the summer, you do running and lifting and those kind of things just to get fast and strong and powerful to push our sleds. Our sleds are around 400 pounds, so you have to have a lot of training in order to do it. Um, so during the summer, we can live anywhere we want and do that type of training, and including in Georgia. And then during the winters, we go up to Lake Placid and Park City, and then we actually start training and traveling around the world uh, to do races and things like that. Wow. And really incredible. You were just talking about how you had these role models and how important it was to see that representation to inspire you to take this big leap of faith. And you've been involved for many years with the Women's Sports Foundation and providing that role model for girls. Can you tell a little bit more about your work there? Yeah, so I started working with the Women's Sports Foundation in 2010, um, right after I'd won my first Olympic medal. And ever since, I've been doing whatever I can. I joined their athlete advisory panel, which is basically a group of a group of athletes. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. There you go. <laughs> um, basically, a group of athletes who come together and advise the Women's Sports Foundation on different policy issues, on different planning issues and things like that. Um, And I joined that in 2015. And then eventually they had come towards me and asked if I wanted to be president, if I had any interest. And I was like, of course, any way I could help uh, shape the policies and the outcomes of so many women and children, I'm all for it. So I became the president in 2019. Served on the served as president and then also on the board of directors, um, and so it's just been an amazing experience. And to be in that position and to be able to influence how we change um, sporting outcomes for women and, and girls is is just been incredible. And we do everything from grassroots all the way to the elite level, whether it's providing grants, whether it's influencing policies, congressional policies. Like I've been on the hill several times with the Women's Sports Foundation and things like that. Like it's truly an amazing organization. And you have gone on in your bobsledding career to to shatter some glass ceilings yourself. Um, you were the first woman on a men's team, correct? Yep. So um, women have men have traditionally had two disciplines in bobsled: the two man and the four man discipline. And women have been barred from driving four man forever. So in 1939, a woman named Catherine Dewey drove four man sleds and she won the U.S. team trials. And after that point, all of a sudden women were banned from driving sleds, driving four man sleds. So it took all the way until 2014 for us to get them to overturn this ruling. Um, And so we had the opportunity and I took it upon myself to just start driving four man sleds and to have two opportunities to race like the men. And fortunately, within my first year, I was able to make the U.S. team. How was that received? I mean, that's such a groundbreaking moment for the sport. Were people supportive? Did you face any resistance? Oh, yeah. So how you make bobsled teams is kind of like The Bachelor. Like you have to go up to ask people and hand them a rose and say, hey, will you push for me? Be my brakeman, the people in the back of the sled. You have to go through that whole process. And when I first started driving uh, four-man sleds, granted, I was already a silver medalist driver in a two-man sled at this point. Like I could not get any of the guys to drive with me, to ride with me because they were like, oh, you can't do it. You can't do it. So I even had one uh, guy ask me if I even knew how to drive a sled. And so that was pretty heartbreaking. And to think that I'm going into these trials and I don't have a team, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So fortunately, uh, my husband is a bobsledder as well. Um, He was taking the season off to try and learn um, 
get into some coaching and figure out what we're going to do after bobsled. So he had taken the season off, but I called him up and said, look, I can't get anyone on my team. I was crying. I was like, I just need some help. And so he decided to come up, help push me. And then after he decided to push me, some other guys decided they wanted to push with him. So he was my ringer and and we ended up having a team. Um, But eventually the guys bought in. Um, I was able to get teams, but it still was the International Federation. The International Federation. Every time I would race or something, I would get smart Alec comments and these type of things. And and they just didn't want women in the four man event, and they still don't. Um, we fought for um, gender equity, and instead of giving us this four man discipline, um, they created a new discipline for women, which is the monobob, which is just one person in sledge. So we did get gender equity into terms of medal opportunities but not in terms of numbers uh, obviously four people in a sled is much more than the one person in the sled which is what they actually gave us do you see that changing how how do you approach like creating that change moving forward yeah i don't know um you know i'm i'm towards the end of my career now um i it's going to take women keep driving four man sleds in order to push that change and me and, and some of the other women who really push that change are or towards the end of our career. So it really is going to take the younger athletes taking it up and, and seeing what they want to do. Um, right now, there's none of the younger athletes that are doing it or, or that really seem interested. So I don't know where it'll go. Um, it seems like the model Bob might be here to stay for a little bit, um, but we'll just have to see. But like I said, it, it's going to have to come from the younger athletes driving it. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm winding down this career. So, so we'll see. Well, you've certainly paved the way and been a good role model for them to to follow in your footsteps. Uh, as a switching gears a little bit, as a professional athlete, how do you decide uh, in your career when is a good time to have kids? <laughs> First, you got to look at your budget. <laughs> I mean, I think that's true for any parent. Is like, can I? really afford to do this. Um, and, and, you know, as you know, kids are very expensive. Um, but I always wanted to be a mom, like as much as I wanted to be an Olympian, I wanted to be a mom as well. So that was part of it. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So I felt like the window for me to have children on my own was closing. Um, and because I had, I had doctors tell me I would have fertility issues before I, I figured, you know, we need to start trying and we need to see if we can have a family. And, I was at a point at that point where I'd won, I'd won an Olympic bronze medal and two silver medals. So it felt like the right time to try and start. And financially, um, fortunately, I'd won some prize money from the Olympics and I'd saved it all with the intention of trying to have a baby and continue competing. So there's a lot of different factors that went into it. Um, one of them, which was like, if I, if I had a baby and let's say I couldn't come back because that's the reality of pregnancy and childbirth. And sometimes it's just, you're not going to, be able to recover from um, whatever happens and and recover in a, a recover in a sense to be an elite athlete anymore. So I had to be sure I was okay with that. And at that point in my career, I was. Um, mm. But now it's it's a whole new adventure taking him along with me and, and seeing where we can go. Once you made that decision, can you share a little bit about your pregnancy journey and the birth of your adorable son? Yeah, so um, it took us about two years to get pregnant, and they said we wouldn't. Oh, some of my doctors had said we wouldn't be able to do naturally. They wanted to put me on hormones and these kind of things, but because I'm an athlete, I can't take hormones um, mm. because they're banned 
drugs are banned um, and any hormones at all, even if it's estrogen, progesterone, all that stuff is banned, which is crazy because, you know, and, and women have been banned before. And at the end of the day, they're just trying to get pregnant. So it's kind of crazy that they've been banned for that. But, wow. you know, so I didn't want to do that. So we just started trying and then um, lo and behold, got pregnant. And um, yeah, we had a little bit of difficulty at the beginning. Um, at the very beginning, they were like, oh, his heart rate's too low. He's never going to survive. And then it was, oh, his liver and his heart are on the wrong side, which is not the case. But they were like, oh, he's not going to survive. And then we started getting other information. Um, I had polyhydramus, um, so too much amniotic fluid, excessive amount of amniotic fluid. And um, what else? And he had short, long bones. So there was a little bit of concern there. Um, but, you know, we were going into it just happy to be parents and happy to have this opportunity. And um, and so the pregnancy itself was OK. Uh, I was way bigger than I should have been with the extra fluid, but I kept training and I kept working out all throughout it. Um, felt OK for the most part, nauseous like crazy. But it was it was fine. Um, it was actually the childbirth was the most rough thing so um he stopped having as much movement um so they decided to induce me at 36 weeks try to get him out um and took two days and and he wasn't budget he didn't want to go anywhere so after that ended up having a c-section and then um after that he spent a couple days in the NICU about eight days in the NICU and it was then we got a, a, a diagnosis of down syndrome um but he's a really happy guy um doesn't matter to us. It wouldn't have mattered to us if we had gotten the diagnosis in utero uh, because, you know, he's our special guy and we love him. Well, I feel lucky to be able to to spend a few minutes with him today. He's a, quite a happy guy and he's very snuggly, which is so sweet. <laughs> yeah, we still haven't gotten the sleep training down yet. I think with all our travels and everything like that, it's just, it's been hard for him although he travels great I couldn't have asked for a better travel buddy uh but he still wants to sleep in my arms which you know as a parent is one of those kind of things where you're like oh I need him to sleep in his own bed but I also know he's only going to want to do this for so long and then yeah. he's not gonna be in the bed and then he's going to be a teenager and he's going to think I'm the worst person ever and all those kind of things that he <laughs> do. and I was like okay so I can I can rock him to sleep a little bit longer it'd be all right Right. Well, and so much of it too, right, is I find that some nights it's rocking them to sleep for them. And some nights it's also for you when you have those snuggles or if you've had a tough day and you're holding them and it feels like, okay, I can, I can get through this. I look at this moment I have right now and how special it is. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing too, about being an athlete and having a child is he brings an immense amount of perspective before if I had a bad day on the ice or something like that, I'd come home and I'm like upset for a couple of days or something like that. If you have a bad race now, I don't have time to be upset. Like, mm-hmm. of course you take the time and you're upset and you're analyzing your race, but at the same time, I've got this little guy waiting on me and he needs all of my attention. It's not like he's going to be like, Oh, it's okay, mom, just take a second. And uh, I'll just hang out here for a little bit. No, he, he wants all my attention and who could blame him, you know? Um, so I get to do that every single night and it, it gives me that perspective of, you know, sport is, is what I do. It's not who I am. Hmm. Oh, wow. That's a really beautiful statement. And when, when did you start traveling with him? When did you start training? What did that experience look like? So, um, I started really small after 
pregnancy after childbirth. You know, I think that's a misconception that some people have is like, oh, you get off the bed and you just, oh, it's okay. Get off the bed and you're just like ready to go and stuff like that. But, you know, anybody who's been through it, you know, that's not the case. So um, I just started really small, taking him out in stroller, taking him walks and, and gradually working up that way. You know, you get the clearance at six weeks uh, from your OBGYN and they're like, you're good to go. But I was like, I don't think you know what that means for an elite athlete. Like, that's not the same. So yeah. My husband is my coach and uh, he writes my strength and conditioning programs and things like that. So all summer long is really about us piecing together how we're going to train and, and how we're going to handle not only recovering from childbirth, but also the new rigors of being a parent and how that affects training. So um, we just went after it slowly, surely. Um, and with COVID, actually, we weren't in gyms or anything like that. We had to create a home gym and, and figure all that out and where we're going to train and all that good stuff. Um, but slowly but surely we figured it out and, you know, we started traveling in October, um, came up to Lake Placid, New York first to start our season and, and been together ever since. So you went to Lake Placid, then you went to Utah. What we was the, what was your circuit? So with COVID, um, it kind of threw everything crazy. Um, so in October, we came up to Lake Placid. We were here for two months. Then we went home for Thanksgiving and then came back up here um, until Christmas time. And then after the new year, or right at the new year, um, we headed over to Europe, headed to Germany. Um, so we were in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, um, and back to Germany, back and forth. So uh Quite a few countries. Our little guy's got a passport and has, has been a little bit over there and everything. But, you know, normally we go over to Germany um, multiple times a year or Europe multiple times a year and all this kind of stuff. But this was a very different experience. So normally, even though we have races, we might have a day or two to go see something, to go experience something. But this was like going over there and seeing in a hotel room when you're not at the Bobson track. And that was it um, just because of COVID and, and everything that's going on. Like we were very protective and especially with Nico, um, extremely protective of what was going on and, and making sure we stay safe as a family. What was that moment like when you did your first competitive race and he was waiting at the bottom? It was amazing. So actually um, in Winterberg, Germany, they even had restrictions about who could be at the track. But oh, because wow. my husband's a bobsledder, he was able to go to the track and he brought Nico. And um, I was having problems with my back at the time. So when we get down to the bottom after a race, we have to take the sled off the ice. And I needed help doing that. So actually at the bottom, um, my husband, Nick, was holding Nico and we switched off. I picked up Nico and he took care of the sled for me. So it was really cool to just come down and, and have that face smiling at you. And he was, you know, he didn't know what was going on, but there's so much different activity. He's just loving it all. And it was just a really great moment. We got some great pictures out of it as well. <laughs> You've shared several times how your husband and you are really, you're a team in, in, in all things, whether that's your... Olympic career, whether that's your bobsledding career or your your family, how do you make that partnership work? Because <laughs> uh, my husband's amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so choose wisely is your advice. <laughs> yes, very wisely. Um, he is one of the most patient, uh, the most kind-hearted people I've ever met, and he's got an amazing sense of humor. Um, and and that's part of it. You know, you just have to keep a sense of humor about everything. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and we're trying to travel around in a bobsled season with the baby. Like, it's all crazy. But, you know, he believes 
in our ability to do things and our ability to accomplish things together. Um, so I really lean on him <clears throat> in a lot of those areas. Another thing is we just constantly communicate about everything that's going on and, and what we're feeling and, and what we need to do or what each other's needs are in addition to Nico's needs. So, um, and we have to be that way. And a lot of times we're on the same page. Sometimes we're not, but the biggest thing is we're able to talk about it. And we know both of us are going after the same goals. Um, it's just how we get there sometimes that we just have to talk about it and figure it out. But as long as we're willing to communicate, I think that helps tremendously. When you think back, what advice would you give to your pre-mom self? Oh, uh, sleep. Um, you, you don't know how easy you have it. I think that's the biggest thing is like, I, I think back uh, to those days of being an athlete and I was like, what did I do with all my time? Why did I feel like I was so busy all the time back then? Which is now like, I'm crazy busy all the time in a whole different way. And like, as an athlete, there's so much emphasis put on recovery and put on nutrition and things like that. And, and as any new mother go, knows, like some of that stuff just went right out the window. Like try as I might, you know, you're not going to have an hour a day to go get a massage. You know, you're not going to, um, I don't think I've had one full night's sleep this entire season, you know, and that's just the reality of being a new mom. So um, the biggest thing I would probably tell my, uh, previous my non-mom self is just take advantage of of the time you have right now because it's going to change but it's going to change for the better you know i yes I, i'm sleep deprived but i wouldn't change it for a world like he's the best thing to ever happen to me in this incredible journey so now if i'm doing the math right this is he's about 13 months mm -hmm. so you have achieved all of this pretty much over a one-year span which is absolutely incredible. I imagine that you're the one of, if not the first, one of the first women to go from childbirth to competing on the international circuit within that time frame. Did you have any moments where you doubted yourself, where you didn't think that you were going to be able to come back and if so, what got you through? What changed your perspective? Oh, yes. I had plenty of moments. Um, and there's been a couple other moms who have done it. Um, none that have been in my position as a pilot. Uh, as a pilot, you're the captain of the sled and, and things like that. So um, it's a very different position to be in because you have so many responsibilities on and off the ice. Um, hmm. And so to add a, a baby to the mix is kind of a lot. And, and most moms, once they get pregnant and are pilots, they – leave the sport so it was very um, nerve-wracking to figure out how we were going to do this and, and there's still days that I was like I don't know how we're going to do this um, but it was a challenge that I was looking forward to and as far as doubt of course I had doubt I had doubt from the very right after giving birth I was like oh, you know I'm swollen I've got a c-section scar all this kind of stuff I was like how the heck am I ever going to get back you know I'm trudging up and down the hallways walking really slowly I'm like how am I ever going to get back to pushing a 400 pound sled and then even moments like you know with Nico's diagnosis he's got physical therapy occupational therapy he's got all these therapies and things like that there's a lot of doctor's appointments and things like that um and you know we'd be sitting in the in the offices and, and he's doing his therapies and stuff like that and just trying to figure out how am I going to make all this work and, and do what's best for him during a bobsled season and so there were so many points of doubt during it there's 
still points of doubt, you know, waking up late at night, um, I'm still nursing. So waking up to feed them, I'm like, oh, I'm only getting four hours of sleep here. How am I going to do this? Uh, but the biggest thing is, is just you do it. Um, as any mom knows, you just find a way, you make it happen. And uh, I don't even know if you have time to really wallow in doubt because there's stuff that just has to be done. Um, he's got to be taken care of. I've got to take care of myself um, and, and we've just got to keep it moving as a family. And that's what we just try to do. Just keep one foot in front of the other and you'll figure it out. I love in what you were just saying that you said he has to be taken care of and I have to take care of myself. It's something that I think a lot of moms struggle with to see that taking care of yourself is taking care of your family. What does taking care of yourself look like outside of being a professional athlete? Yeah. Um, even outside of being a professional athlete, it, it's still, for me, I still have to be physically active. Um, so even right now I'm in a quarantine in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, we still have to quarantine a week before we're able to do anything. So even that for me, like it's important to go out and take walks and to be physically active and to do yoga and stretch and those type of things. And that's even, that'd be even important outside of being an athlete because physical activity for something for me that makes me feel good and, and I get that endorphin release and everything. So it's important for me and I can include him in those kind of things. Um, but the other thing is, is just making sure I'm eating well, making sure I'm um, drinking enough water and those type of things that outside of being an athlete are super critical. And I, I can feel a difference when I'm eating my crap or, or when I'm um, not drinking enough water and those type of things. And, and so those are the, some of the things that I feel like are very important to just taking care of myself um, meditation and, um, and just, you know, asking for help when I need it. That's been one of the biggest things is just being able to ask for help. Um, and especially when it comes to childcare for him. How was that changed during the pandemic? I mean, I know from having my son during the pandemic, it was so different than my first where that we had you know, people in the hospital room, we had people at home and it was such a different experience this time. How did you grapple with the challenge of not being able to have so many people? Yeah. So I am a super planner. <laughs> so before going into this, I had all the plans, you know, whether or not he was going to go with his grandparents or his aunts and uncles, and they were going to come over, help us and all this stuff. Like people come over, do our laundry and all this stuff planned out, but then pandemic shut down all of that. Um, so, you know, fortunately, um, my husband is a chiropractic student. Um, and so he was going to class in person, but because of the pandemic, all his classes got shifted online. So he was literally there every single day, um, of Nico's life until he was, until he was like about one year old. And now, you know, he's back in Atlanta at the moment, just taking care of some things. And, um, we're up here in New York, but for the most part, he was there every single day. So that definitely helped. And that's something very few fathers really get to do, um, is to be there that much for their kid in the first year of life. Um, the other thing was, is that we did have friends reach out to us, send us Grubhub gift cards and <laughs> Uber Eats gift cards and things like that, which definitely helped. There were some yeah. days where I was like, we get eight o'clock at night and we're like, we haven't eaten all day, but yeah. it was nice to be able to, you know, people couldn't bring us meals, but they sent us money. So um, we could just buy something right away, have something delivered and, and things like that. So it wasn't without its challenges, but I think the fact that we had the silver lining of being able to be together as a family every single day was definitely really awesome. 
That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you to Nico for sharing you with me um, and for spending some time with me as well. It's been lovely getting to hear your journey. It's so incredible. I, when you just said earlier about the, the six weeks and, and you get the all clear, I am not a professional athlete. And I think you still think, what does all clear mean? Like how, how is, I don't feel ready to do anything. So um, you just had such words of, of wisdom and inspiration. So thank you. Well, thank you. And it is like, I think that's one of the things that needs to be addressed more is that six week mark where you get the all clear. Like I was fortunate um, to work with a core specialist and um, her name's Celeste Goodson. Uh, I found her for a referral from some other athletes and stuff like that, but there are people out there designed to help women recover just from postpartum and, and from childbirth and things like that. But a lot of us don't know about it. Like I didn't know about it until I reached out to my friends. And so there's people out there <clears throat> that are able to help and able to get us back to the condition that we want to be in. Um, but I think it's important that women know more about those resources. Like it's important that your OB tells you about that mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of just signing you off, say, go, go back to work. Or it's important that at, right after you give birth, that these things are discussed, um, that, that explain that it's a process that you're not just going to, and you know, there are some moms who walk off the table and feel great and are ready to go and, and running back in, in two weeks and things like that. But the question is, is that really the best for the mother? Um, and I think physiologically, it's really important to know what's going on and to have that support system around you. And I I think so far as a society, we've done a really poor job. We've mostly just left it up to the mothers to figure out when you're ready to do any type of activity. So there needs to be some work in that area, but you know, there is movement starting. It's just about continuing that progression. Well, and I think also in some ways, social media is really helpful in this specifically because there's now a platform there's now if even if your OBs and maybe the medical field is still catching up in terms of how to advocate and and recommend things for new mothers, we can all as a, as experienced mothers recommend it and spread that word and and there can be a lot of community support um, until that structural support is in place. I agree completely, and I think that's for all of us pandemic mothers. I think social media has has been a really great tool in some regards to, to find the resources and communities that we really need. Um, because, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you. We haven't been able to do any of the mommy and me classes or mm-hmm. any play dates or anything like that. So being able to have some sense of community online, has definitely helped, but you know, I'm eager for vaccines to roll out and eager to, to get in some mommy and me classes and to go meet other babies. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Okay. Bye. Bye. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com 
And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.